I'm Baz, and this is RuneQuest Year Zero. Hey everyone, welcome to session four of RuneQuest Year Zero, episode five, because I stupidly had a session zero in there, so, well, you could do the maths, I'm sure, take it as like a D4 minus one or something. Anyway, in this episode, we get stuck into the second half of book two of the RuneQuest starter set. We're going to take you to Johnstown, a place I had never been before. So we're going to go into some depth on that and my opinions about it, of which I have many, stay tuned. And also, I want to give a massive thank you, first of all, to the sheer enormous and surprising amount of call-ins I've had to the show. I'm absolutely blown away by this. Um, it's a great little function of Anchor, so please do call in if you get the opportunity. Just head to wherever you got this podcast, follow the links back, and you can leave a message, and you can leave multiple messages if you want. You're kind of capped at one minute, but you can always string them together, as some of these illustrious contributors have. So thank you to anybody who's taken the time to call in just to say thanks for the podcast or to offer some encouragement. It's really, really appreciated. And more importantly than that, these contributions are giving me so much more to think about. I've got clarifications, I've got some extra information, I've got places to go to look for new stuff as well. So it's all welcomed. Here's just some of the call-ins for today. See you on the other side. Hi Baz, that's Stephen again. You asked about the glow line. The Lunars are a fascinating part of Glorantha, they really are, really fundamental to the whole uh, nature of the conflict in the in the game. However, the glow line, lunar magic is cyclical. It's more powerful when the moon is full, less powerful when the moon is full of black, except within the glow line. The glow line is the spiritual boundary of the empire, and within the glow line, all lunar magic acts as if the moon was always full. So it's a really powerful thing. And the lunars expand the glow line by building when they conquer an area, they build a temple of the reaching moon and then they can expand their spiritual boundaries after that. It's an important thing. And the glow line is visible. You see a red glow on the ground. So there you go. Easy answer. Brilliant. Thanks, Stephen. That is super useful stuff about the glow line, the lunar empire, all that stuff about the magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's getting me excited. And the reaching moon thing. Do you know what? I'd seen a mention of that. There's a temple of the Reaching Moon, I think, comes up in the Glorantha book at some point. And I remember it because that's the name of a fanzine or a prozine, something like that, from back in the day, back in the 80s. So uh, Tales of the Reaching Moon, Temple of the Reaching Moon. It's all kind of scratching my memory. But I really like the idea of a big old zone that kind of spreads out across the ground. That, that ties in with a few ideas I've had for campaigns for other games in the past where realms can kind of act as an overlay on the territory that they conquer. So, yeah, lunar stuff sounds good. Uh, feel like there really should be maybe a little bit more on that. Is it central to Glorantha games? It seems to be. It hardly gets a mention in the book so far. wonder if there's more to come. Thanks again for your message, Stephen. Hey, Baz, this is Menion, also known as Rob. Uh, welcome to the Anchor podcasting community, if this is indeed a, a, your, your first uh, trip onto that uh, format. 
platform. So anyway, yeah, um, similar to you, perhaps, um, I started in the early days with uh, RuneQuest, actually probably three, third edition, and um, I really liked the uh, combat and so on, although I I always felt, uh, you know, a bit of res- reservations about the, the use of magic, and it, it seemed odd that everybody had magic at the time. You know, I've since come to uh, grips with that, I think. But uh, as you point out, yeah, spirit magic and the spirit world as as net running i think that's a really good analogy and i got that similar feeling as well um rest assured the world is actually very colorful and vibrant um i'll get another call in here if you want <laughs> as for uh, what are the defaults and how does the magic actually look yeah you, you kind of have to wait for the go into the real uh, core book for this but essentially um it looks like whatever cult you're a member of. So um, as you cast spells, you and the closer you get to embracing the runes that embody those gods, the more you start to take on the physical appearance and attributes of those gods. So as you're casting spells, you uh, if you're a, a follower of Orlanth, you'll start to kind of, maybe, maybe your, your eyes flicker blue or with lightning around you, or your skin starts going blue and so on, and you, you gain in stature. These kind of effects, really, and it's very much down to narrative. So I think you'll see more of that as you play the solo adventure and the and get the adventures to the table. That that will come out, actually, through the, through the um, material. Anyway, I just want to say thank you so much. Bye-bye. Rob, thanks so much for calling in. Big fan of your podcast too. Been listening to that for a little while. Um, yeah, really pleased you've taken the time to call in. Thanks for that, mate. Um, as with a previous call as well, really good to hear that there's more to the magic than meets the eye. What I wasn't aware of, which you've been kind enough to let me know, is that your characters might physically change as they get closer and closer to, I suppose, to the top of the hierarchy in their cult. Is that how it works? The idea of them like getting bluer or their eyes changing, or I, I presume their physical characteristics start change. I don't know if that's just in an instant when they like cast rune magic, or whether they take on like a, a permanent look. If they take on a permanent look, does that mean there's loads of people wandering around looking functionally identical? It's kind of a strange concept to get your head around. I'm sure most of this, as you say, is narrative and not particularly rules based, because there's very little mention of this in the rules to date. Um, feels like the top end of the game, what you'd call, I don't know, high-level play in D&D. I can't quite see how that works yet. Definitely looking forward to the adventures if they make mention of this kind of thing at all. Oh, every single caller that comes in lets me know just how little I know. I know you don't mean it that way, guys. Keep it coming. I love these calls. Hey, Baz, I'm Ludovic. Congrats on being one of the very few people who feature twice in my regular podcast roundup. Yay! You had lots of good points in your first episodes, uh, which echo my own experience discovering RuneQuest a couple of years ago. Typos and imprecise language, problems with characteristics time five rolls, high skills in combat leading to lots of back-and-forth rolling, and uh, strike ranks. Uh, funnily enough, BRP games are among my favorite games to play, but the BRP system itself isn't anywhere near my top five. RuneQuest is indeed sticking to its older version. As far as I know, it's because the RQ2 Classic Kickstarter was a big success, so Casium figured that there was a public there and it makes the old books easily usable. Last thing, uh, roll under systems, percentile or otherwise, don't inherently have more of a cap than roll over systems. It can actually be mathematically proven that they're equivalent. Although it's no excuse for RuneQuest's rule for skill over 100%, which are not very good in my opinion. 
that's it. I'm looking forward for the rest of the podcast. Thanks, Ludovic. Well, what a privilege to be on on two podcasts in one person's pod feed. I'll try not to clutter it up too much with my inane ramblings. Thanks ever so much for those clarifications. Yeah, I take your point on all of those things. Interesting note on RuneQuest 2, because of course that's the one I have the most exposure to <laughs> of about half an hour total, but it's the one that I know. And I was aware of that big Kickstarter for the reprints, and I see in my Twitter feed all the time people doing what looks like really good quality print on demands for that old stuff. That's a really interesting take. I don't know, is is that being sourced or verified anywhere? Is that just your opinion, Ludovic? Because I, I can totally see how it might be the case that looking for all of that back catalogue to be really compatible with the new rules would be a big draw, certainly with other games that go through a new edition backwards camp compatibility is always a bone of contention so yeah so really interesting so thanks ever so much for your call um speak to you again soon hey Baz, this is hyperlexic here i'm very glad you're doing this uh intro to Ramtha. enjoying it quite a bit going to talk about the empire a bit and i'll send you another message on the glow lines you ask if the empire is evil and it really depends who you ask um same question you could ask, was the Roman Empire evil because it invaded uh, Gaul and then invaded Britain? And a whole lot of Gauls or Britons would tell you, yes, it was evil. Same thing with Sardarites uh, and their views. Uh, but as a player, I'm definitely of the group that thinks that the Empire is not wholly evil, that is trying to fix some fundamental problems in the world, but that doesn't excuse everything it does. Uh, back more in a minute. Thanks for the call, Hyperlexic. All right, so that's an interesting viewpoint on the Empire. Um, they're called the Empire, which doesn't really help them very much, does it, when you're in, as immersed in geek culture as we all are. But point well taken on the Roman Empire stuff. I totally get that it's going to be a matter of perspective. Um, and, and clearly, RuneQuest is not exactly an alignment-based game. I can see in the passions and the way that they're all set out that you can have loyalty uh, or duty or any of those kind of attributes and you can apply them to whatever community you're in so it's an interesting take and having had a quick peek at some of the pre-gen pcs i see that one of them is um is luna um and they seem to be kind of like keeping it on the down low um being really fascinating to get into more of that so thanks for calling in. This is all this is all giving me more questions and answers, but I love your answers. Keep them coming. Hey, Baz. Second message about the glow lines. Um, so the glow line is the edge of the magical power of the Lunar Empire. Um, it is uh, created by these um, this these set of temples called the Reaching Moon Temples, um, which together create the glow line. Within the glow line, the moon is always full, so the lunar magicians have their power at maximum strength at all times. Outside the glow line, the moon waxes and wanes, and the power of the lunar uh, empire, the lunar forces, waxes and wanes with it. Uh, and it was notably the Reaching Moon Temple uh, in Sartar that was eaten by the dragon when it, was, uh, when it rose, uh, and so the glow line has disappeared within Sartar. Yes, very helpful, which reminds me that there was a little bit I missed out. I talked about the cover of book two, which, unbeknownst to me at the time, is describing the dragon rise that you've just mentioned there, Hyperlexic. So that's when the dragon comes up out of the Temple of the Reaching Moon. I didn't know it had eaten the temple. So the temple has been destroyed by this dragon. 
So this is more history that uh, either skimmed or missed or maybe wasn't there in that first book. So this is good to know. So are dragons inherently anti-lunar? Oh, more questions. Greetings from Andrew McLaren in Wellington, New Zealand, Baz. Cheers for extending the invitation. Just a very quick message. As I see, I have less than a minute to make it. Uh, my experience is very much the same as yours, except that I was 10 years older and I decided to create my own hybrid system of Dungeons and Dragons and Rune Quest, and I ran that very successfully uh, for quite a number of years before going into Dungeons and Dragons proper. Uh, I still have not played RuneQuest straight, and I will be going into Glorantha using 13th Age uh, in the future. Cheers. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for calling in. Wow, really great to hear that this community has gone absolutely worldwide. I think just in the course of the last 15 minutes, I've been around the world at least once. Brilliant. Um, yeah, good times on your RuneQuest D&D crossover. That is a rare occurrence, my friend. So rarely do those streams get crossed. So that's good to hear that you've had some experience with that. Um, and delighted to get the first mention of 13th Age in Glorantha onto my cast as well, because that is definitely an area that I will be returning to. For those who don't know, I'm a massive 13th Age fan, enough that I wrote my own game, The King of Dungeons, largely based on, on some of the mechanical conceits in that. So I was and remain pretty fascinated with the treatment that the 13th Age guys gave to their game set in Glorantha. I possess that book, and... Um, I have not really looked at it very much, but this podcast is definitely going to make me do that, I'm certain. Without making too many promises about where we go post-starter set, that one's on the shelves. It's looking at me right now. It'll get cracked open at some time. Thanks for your message, Andrew. And everybody else who's called in. It's been incredible to get so many call-ins. They're a really, really good, funky part of this show, and I want to put as many call-ins as I can in there. All the extra information is absolutely brilliant. It's more grist to the mill. I'm writing down my questions as I go, and I'm seeing what I can find out as I delve deeper into the starter box and into my experiences too. Thank you all. Hi, Barnes. JT here. Just want to say uh, how much I'm enjoying the show and um, how fair I think you and Balanced are being about the, uh, about the game itself, um, even though you've got it for free. And... Uh, just how inspirational it is. I've got my starter kit here, but I haven't really drilled into it. Uh, it's just really useful that you're going through it and um, helping explain a game that's really, I think, traditionally had a pretty high bar to entry. So much appreciated. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Bye. JT, that's a super kind message. So good of you to call in. Thank you for your kind words. Amazing. Um, I'm glad to think you're being very, you think I'm being very fair about this box. I am trying very hard to see to see the good stuff, of which there is plenty, uh, but also to raise questions as I encounter them. And there have been plenty of those too. Let's see if you still think I'm being fair once you've listened to the rest of this episode. Because I think it's about time we went to Johnstown. And I really want to tell everybody what I think about this. And then I want you guys to please come back if you tell me you think I'm crazy. All right, let's get into this then. So, as you can probably hear from my voice, 
I have come down with a little bit of tonsillitis, so this one might be painful in more than one way. We'll have a go. We've had loads of painkillers. Got a cup of tea. And I've got rule book two, the word of Grantha in front of me, and starting on page 23. We're into the city of Johnstown, so let's start with the opening paragraph, shall we? The city of Johnstown is described here as a representative settlement in Dragon Pass, located in the homeland of Sartar. Adventurers from all over Dragon Pass are drawn to Johnstown, a haven from danger, a source of opportunity, as well as a crossroads for adventure. The year is 1625. The Dragon Rice has changed everything. The Lunar Empire is in full retreat, on the cusp of losing Dragon Pass entirely. In places like Johnstown, the future is being made. And that future is in the hands of heroes like the adventurers. Okay, well, we finally found out what year it was. <laughs> which is just a bit of an in-joke, really. Oh, dear. One of the things that always happens with Garantha Gaming, especially at cons, is that some grognard always says, well, what year is it? And apparently that really matters. I don't know whether 16.25 or nearly half past four. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. I don't know if 16.25 is early, late, current. I have no idea what's going on with the... If there is, in fact, a meta plot that's running along behind the scenes... So I don't know if that's something that veterans would go, huh? Or maybe, oh, good, that's one of the good periods. Or what? I have no idea. Dragon Rise is obviously a big thing. And the retreat of the Lunar Empire. Cool. So that looks like a place that's primed for adventure. So let's have a little look at the city of Johnstown then. It takes up the rest of Rulebook 2, which is quite a big chunk. It's like twice as much as like the bit on Glorantha. So hopefully we can really get into the weeds of this. Now, I've read through this. I read through it once, and I'm just going to skim over some of the sections in it. I won't give you a complete breakdown of it. You can read it for yourself if you get it. But we start off with the history of Johnstown, not unreasonably, I suppose. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there which is kind of fun. Um, it is literally some bloke called John, and it is his town. <laughs> and there's some mythological stuff. Uh, when we get to like the second page of the history of Johnstown, we get finally the inevitable timeline. So we've got a 300-year timeline of Johnstown. How much of this is absolutely necessary, I do not know. It's, well, listen, I'm gonna, let's address this right now. This is a starter set. For me, the idea of a starter set is that it needs to be laser-focused on getting you started. Anything like a 300-year timeline feels to me like it should be in a core book, if anywhere, or maybe even a supplement. Does it help orientate you to what's going on right now so that you can start your game? I suppose a little bit, and I suppose it's of interest, but it's a big chunk of real estate in the book that could probably, in my opinion, it could be used for better ways. So this is classic Glorantha type stuff I've bounced off before where they just cannot help themselves but start bunging in loads and loads of myth, which is all interesting, but is it necessary? It's taken up a lot of space. There are a couple of pages in on the history of Johnstown. Let's sum it up for you. This Johnstown is uh, it's kind of a medium-sized town by the look of things. It's got, uh, it's got a wall around it. It's got two sections, a sort of an elevated section and a lower section. It's very famous for a thing called the Johnstown Compendium, uh, which is like a massive library full of scrolls. Um, and there you go. You're off. You're running. Used to have some lunars in it. Now it doesn't. Let's play. 
But that's three pages of stuff I've just summed up for you there. And I should point out as well that deeper into the box is a map of Johnstown. The map is glorious. It's such a lovely, lovely thing. I really, really love the map of Johnstown. And props to the cartographer Olivia E. San Filippo. It's a beautiful thing. It's uh, sort of like the isometric style. And you can pick out every individual building. And you can see the individual trees and the parklands and the and the cliff tops. It's a really lovely map because you can physically use that in the middle of your table and point at where you are and say where you're going and this, that and the other. Um, the other details on the map is you've got 20 temples, which I suppose is kind of obvious. Uh, and all the other locations are inns and some rich houses and the gates. Which is weird. Is that it? Is that all there is to towns in RuneQuest? Just like some pubs and some temples. <laughs> That's giving me an idea of what daily life is like. A whole lot of praying and a whole lot of drinking. Okay. Um, yeah, that's... there's Well, what, I'm, what I guess I'm getting at here is blacksmiths, uh, merchants, markets, stuff like that. The, the kind of things that I think adventurers might go looking for. Or is it strictly there, you go to your temple and your temple's like a little sort of, like a club, like a Royal Ge Geographical Society. And then when you're not doing that, you go for lunch <laughs> at the nearest inn. And then you go back to your temple for the afternoon. I don't know. Anyway, back to the main part of the book. Uh, Northern Sartar, local tribes, uh, and the kind of map I used to see in geography textbooks. Uh, where you've got like, the, the local territories divided up by colour into the various tribes that look after it. Some villages, some farmers. A note about the Royal Road, which is like a dead straight road that runs between uh, Johnstown. It sits on the Royal Road. It goes to Boldholm and it goes to the Holy Country in the south. And we've got some stuff about the population. So how big is Johnstown? Two and a half thousand permanent residents. More in winter. We've got uh, a couple of notes on the religions of Johnstown. Uh, walls, gates, towers, housing, baths, food, which is all about grain, meat and fish. There, there's a paragraph on the distribution of grain, one on the distribution of meat, one on the distribution of fish. City, city politics, um, it's kind of like clan membership, apparently. You've got a government, there's some city guard, there's a militia. There are some guilds. So Free Sages, which is apparently the most powerful guild in in, uh, in Johnstown. Some bits on the thieves and uh, uh, two paragraphs on the Lunars. All right, so let's get this out of the way straight away. This is not an auspicious start. There's about 10 pages of this. It's pretty wordy. It's as dry as a bone. There is very, very little in here that makes me think adventure. And even the bit that is in there doesn't tell me what to do with that information. There are the smallest bits about how there's a great spirit that looks after the city. And I don't even know how to pronounce this word. Whiter, Whiter, W-Y-T-E-R. I saw it addressed earlier in another book as well. These are like guardian spirits of the city. What it looks like, no idea. How it operates, no idea. What it means to the people in the city, no idea. And that's the most interesting thing I can say about it. This town 
is just ordinary. It's mundane. It's got a big library in it. whoop de doo And I'm just, I'm really worried now. This is, this is pretty tedious reading. And I hope that that's not going to offend anyone when I say that. But I can't help but compare a contrast. When I think about some of the city books that I've got in my collection, just off the top of my head, we'll think, I don't know, Middenheim uh, in the Old World in Warhammer, uh, set atop the plateau of a mountain. Uh, top of that mountain was smashed off by a great wolf's fist, wolf god. It's a great northern city in the Empire. It's full of factions. It's full of interesting locations, full of personality. Or Shan in Eberron, uh, almost, you know, a vertical city with floating areas that goes deep, deep into the ground underneath and the, and the top of it sits amongst the clouds. Almost anything, really. I mean, just towns and cities are really a big part of fantasy role-playing games. They must be a big part of Glorantha. And if, if people have been holding out for Johnstown, I know it's supposed to be representative, but what on earth do you do there? Is there anything to like glom onto as an adventurer, specifically as an adventurer? If you were to be a merchant, work at a guild, or guard a pub, you've got you've got the basics here. I know what you're going to eat, and when you're going to go for a bath, and how you're going to cast your vote. And there's you know a paragraph on like maybe a thief. You might get get done over by a thief, but. Uh, is is not inspiring at all, not at all. And when we get into the powerful people, and now we we might start to get some stories here. Here is some good stuff. So we've got the city government. So you get to see the uh, Orngarin Holdfast is the city rex of Johnstown, and we've got some really nice little portraits of the important NPCs of the town. They're lovely. They're black and white. The kind of things you could show people. Uh, is pretty much a full page per NPC. But half of that page is taken up with the stats. My goodness me, these are long. These are like <laughs> these are like third edition D&D book stats for like a 10th level character. They're really long. Uh, Ongarin Holdfast is the wind lord of all Anthrex. He looks after the place. And you've got everything there that you would need to know, all of his skills. So if you want to know how quietly he can move, it's there. His magic items, his allied and bound spirits, so that's a little bit interesting, and probably no more than 100 words about the fellow himself. We've got uh, a city administrator. We've got someone from the Chalana Aroy Temple group called Erin Mercy. Uh, we've got the Isseries Temple group. We've got a few different people there. And we've got the Lankar Mai Temple group. We've got some stuff going on there. We've got people with fake beards, which is odd. Uh, we've got some Orlanthi, some individuals of notes. This goes on for a few pages. You get to a, a person called Sarah Stip Prince Killer, and I'm thinking, oh, this sounds interesting. And to be fair, I'll tell you what I really like. I like the names of the characters. They're really evocative. Harshax Elkenvale, Yerina the Short. <laughs> They're something that I could play with. They're a million times better than your Forgotten Realms wedge a couple of syllables together and drop in some consonants and apostrophes. So I quite like these characters, but there's not a lot to do with them. They just seem a bit ordinary. I mean, they're covered in tattoos and paintings and stuff like that. And I think the, the art does a brilliant job of making an evocative character. Because if you just read the text, it's pretty dry. It really is. Next, we're into the city quarters, where we've got 
the upper city where you can go shopping. There's everything that's listed in here is pretty much a temple. There's one called Renter Shrine, which just feels like a bit of a bum note, really. But the rest are just there's every temple and inn that you can imagine. There's some residences. And then you get into the Scholars Quarter, uh, where you've got the Johnstown Library, which is obviously the biggest deal of the whole place. And more temples, more temples, more taverns, more temples, more taverns and temples. Merchants Quarter, temples and taverns. Crafters Quarter, you'll never guess what they have there. Well, not many temples, but more taverns and a bakery just to liven things up. Then we get a few pages on the people of Johnstown, like a typical resident, typical citizen, typical merchant. So you've got some stat blocks. These stat blocks are huge. City guard, thief, typical lunar resident. Then the last couple of pages devoted to some spots outside of Johnstown proper. So you've got like your little regional map here. The maps that I enjoy so much that have got things like horse rest on them and Venal's Mound and greenstone and we've got uh, bullet points for each of those things no more than a bullet point really maybe a sentence maybe two so you could look up say let's just do this live there's a, a point on a map mark old vampire cave cool right i'm gonna look that up old vampire cave no one has any idea what dwells there now if anything but it is a dark and evil place best avoided okay thank you for that uh, what else can I find? Uh, Cherry Ridge. All right, let's see what happened at Cherry Ridge. These hills are famous for the Jarrett Cherry, a large ruby fruit with medicinal qualities. Chalana Arroy's cults has cultivated these groves since the time of Sata. All right. Come on, let's give it one more go. Let's see if I could find some adventure around here. Uh, let's look for the most evocative name. Uh, okay, let's find an evocative name, evocative name, uh, Old Grave, you never know, Old Grave, Old Grave, Old Grave, oh here we are, an old grave, notable enough to serve as a local landmark, well, <laughs> I'm inspired, <laughs> oh the painkillers are really having to kick in now, listen, I am absolutely convinced that all of this stuff is going to come to life as I go deeper into the box. But I start to look at all the characters, which I'm really intrigued by. I cannot wait to see what the adventures are like because, because I'm worried. And I think I need to tell you why. But first of all, I'm going to have a cup of tea. So here's the issue that I have. We're two books in now. I've read the book all about the rules of the game. And that one left me with a few questions, but I could see that functionally I understand how to how to roll the dice, how to adjudicate actions, how to do stuff with my RuneQuest character. And I've read book two, The World of Glorantha. So I've got a handle on the basics of the setting. So I've got all the rules, I've got all the setting. Now, in many games, that's about as much as you would get. Surely at this point, 
I should feel like I've got the game. But I don't. Not in the slightest. There's the whole thing about I'm not able to actually make a character. And I guess, you know, I've talked about that before, whether that's a good idea, whether it's a clever idea, whether it's a silly idea. But it definitely leaves me feeling like I haven't quite got a grasp on what I'm supposed to do in RuneQuest yet because I haven't had that step-by-step walking through generating someone in my mind as well as on a piece of paper online. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what my choices are. I haven't been given any choices at this point. It's just been reading. So I've got all of the rules, but I but I don't have any context. Then I've read the setting book. It's another 60-odd pages. And I know more about Grandfather than I've ever known before. And there are some intriguing elements to it. But I don't know what to do in Glorantha. What's the core activity of RuneQuest? What do you do? And that's missing in a lot of games, I know. But RuneQuest has had many, many decades to get this sorted out. If I'm an adventurer, and it seems that that's eventually what I'll end up having, I will be an adventurer in a party of adventurers. What do I do for adventure? Do I go out looking for glory? Do I go looking for coin? Do I go out to be a hero and defend people from oppression? Do I work for my cult to increase their standing? Do I do things against enemies, whether that be cults or the Lunar Empire or whatever? And you're probably shouting at your podcatcher now going, well, you can do all of those things. It's totally up to you. Well, that's nice to know, but give us a clue. Give me something to go with here. Because I'm struck by the things that I don't see, which by now I kind of would have expected to. There are no monsters. Now, I get that I come from a bit of a sort of a, a background of other games. D&D specifically would have given me loads of monsters and loads of things to do with them. And, you know, it's bad stuff to punch in the face. Kill them. Take their stuff. Don't have that in RuneQuest. I mean, there's barely a mention of the more exotic races. So maybe the baddies are the other people. And I have a feeling it might be the Lunar Empire and some of my excellent messages that came in earlier have put me straight on that, so that's okay. But I don't know what they're doing either. I don't know what they're doing, apart from retreating. So I'm completely baffled. Despite having lots of knowledge, I can't put all of these bits together yet. I think the starter town, Johnstown, has really left a bad taste in my mouth. (laughs) Or maybe that's the tonsillitis. It's dull. There is nothing to do. There are really no one to interact with in any kind of meaningful, adventurous way. I don't understand it. I want to like Glorantha very much, and I am intrigued by elements of it. I can't quite get my head around the magic stuff yet, which seems to be where all of the good stuff is at, but as I've mentioned before, it's it's described in a fairly mundane way. The setting, bizarrely, is mundane. How can you take something like Glorantha and make something a bit dull out of it? Is that even possible? The cover of book two, The World of Glorantha, has got this amazing dragon rise thing on. That dragon rise situation looks cool, but it is no more than alluded to in the text. It, there's nothing, nothing to grip on. I can't build a character, and even if I could, 
I don't know what I would do with it. And as someone who really down the line wants to GM this game, I haven't got the faintest idea how to start doing that. I'm not talking about, you know, like putting together a plot and like, you know, being a fan of the players, all that generic advice. I do not know what to do for a scenario. I don't know how to gather people together. I can't help them generate characters. If I hand out some of these portfolios, I would be an absolute loss as to what to do next. I know that there's a lot more of this box to go. And I am massively holding out for the fact that the scenario books are going to make all of this come together. The next book is the solo quest book. That's surely got to make a lot of context out of what we've got. But before I do that, I'm going to go back into the characters. I've talked about the characters quite a lot. Maybe, and hopefully, more of the evocative world is going to be delivered through these 12, 14, and whatever they are. However many characters I've got there, I want to do a quick survey of those. And I think that'll be important because then hopefully I'll get excited to play them. If you can't get excited about a character through its character sheet, then there's something gone wrong. And at the moment, my excitement level for RuneQuest starter set is at no more than like one eyebrow, half raised, intrigued, but not excited. And I was hoping to really be excited by the time I got halfway through all the books. Surely knowing all the rules and all the setting stuff by now is enough to play. But apparently it isn't. And it feels like I'm just getting started. And that's quite frustrating. And what's even more frustrating is that I know that people will be listening to this and they'll be frustrated with me. Because you'll be thinking to yourselves, I'm sure. Ah, come on, Baz. Johnstown's great. The adventures I've had there have been amazing. Glorantha's amazing. Sartar's superb. When you start getting into this, that, or the other. Well, I hope, I'm sure you're right. And I'm hoping that I get an awful lot of call-ins that will put me right. But please bear this in mind. I'm only going off what I've read. And from what I've read, it's not enough. So next time, the characters. Until then, thank you ever so much for bearing with I really appreciate the call-ins and the support that I'm getting for this little side project of mine. I am enjoying doing it, and I'm going to be doing more. So please do share the episode where you can. Mention it on social media, and by all means, please do leave me a message. Loving your call-ins. So thanks, everyone, and I'll be back next time when we get our portfolios open and we see if we can find the character in RuneQuest. <laughs>